know if there's a financial issue. They just, I mean, it really, really affects their person. And they don't know how to deal with that sometimes. And sometimes if uh, they're not able to protect their children, I mean, how many fathers will agree with me? If your children, something happens to them and you didn't protect them, man, you just feel the weight of the world on you and you feel guilt. Or let's say that there's not a relationship there and there's just a lot of things. And and, and I really believe um, there's so many expectations sometimes from ourselves and from people around us as fathers, I really think that we are not able to do that job without God. You know, without God telling us that we're doing a good job, and without God telling us He loves us, and without God helping us to be a father, I don't know that we can fulfill that role. That role is a overwhelming role. And then there's still others that, you know, maybe, um, maybe your father is not around anymore. You know, and you were very close, or maybe you weren't close and you never made it, you know, had an ability to really know them, you know. And there's just a lot of different emotions. And uh, Mother's Day, I mentioned uh, the one thing you don't do on Mother's Day, and I had a lot of confirmation from mothers afterward, is you don't preach on Proverbs 31. And I didn't realize it, but there's this, I mean, let me know that's true. Because a lot of mothers actually get frustrated because she's so perfect that you feel like you can't measure up to her. And that's why a lot of times you avoid Proverbs 31 and you you know address other issues. Now with men, I had a principal that I was sitting and watching a basketball game with one day. And he said, um, he said, Father's Day was coming up. And he said, you know what's really interesting about Father's Day? He said, and I want you to watch this when you go to church. Because he was a very, very strong Christian. He said, when Mother's Day is here, he said, every message you ever hear about mothers is honoring. You honor the mothers. You say complimentary things about them. You know, you just everything is honoring when it's Mother's Day. He said, but you watch it. Every time Mother's Day comes, totally different message. It's a message of you're not doing good enough and you need to be better and you need to, you know, and a lot of the messages are, are geared toward, you know, like almost like motivating a dad to do better rather than just honoring dad for how difficult it is to be a dad. And so he said, you watch. Don't don't say this to your pastor. He said, well, listen to the message the next Sunday. So I thought, well, I'll try it out. I never really have thought it through that lens. And so I went to church. And that particular Sunday, the title of the message was The Dumbest Man That Ever Lived. And the message was about a guy who had made so many mistakes and don't be dumb like him. And so I went back and I I kind of was embarrassed to say it, but I kind of pulled him aside and I said, hey, you know, they told me to watch this and see what the message was about. And, And I said, your title was this. And I said, you know what, you might think about that next Father's Day and not have a sermon like that. They got enough. Dads have enough guilt, you know, enough frustration. And uh, so there's that class where sometimes we're just motivating them so hard and trying to get them to do better, 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 rather than just saying, you do a lot. You provide for your family. You protect your family. You do everything you possibly can because you love your family. And then when something goes wrong, 
You take it upon yourself and say, what could I have done more? I could have done more. I could have done something else. And, and just remember that, ladies. When you think about your husband, just remember those are the thoughts that go through our mind. You know, we're not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not making enough money. I'm not. And those things are really frustrating and they get you down sometimes. And so this message, then you go into the second level of messages. The first level is you come out and you say they're not doing enough. All right? And that's not what this message is. The second level of messages is here's what a dad is and here's the attributes. So you go through and you find a really strong man in the Bible who seems to be a really good man of, you know, strong man of God. And you say, here are the attributes of a man. And you begin to say, a man is a provider. And then everybody's like, yeah, 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 he's a provider. You know, a man is uh, strong. You know, he was made strong to protect the weak. And everybody's like, yeah, they're all strong, you know. And then everybody rallies to that. And then you go through all these attributes. And that's a really wonderful thing to do because God made us different. How many know that? God made us equal heirs, yet he made us different. You know, we have different... um, Calling as men and women, and one of the, those are direct callings of a man. But then as you go, begin to go through those attributes, what does a man do? He begins to see how he measures up. And then sometimes you still walk away thinking, man, I don't measure up. And so sometimes that can even be detrimental. And so I was just really praying about it. And, uh, I was surprised, this is, before I read my text here, I was surprised where God took me. He took me to a specific scripture, but then he started, I just started praying. I said, God, just just really teach me about being a father and what it means. And God just began to ask me, the Holy Spirit was just saying, who was Adam's father? And I was thinking to myself, I never really thought about that. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, here's a man that was born that had no father. Now, what's it mean to be a father? It means to be a father that you created something out of nothing. What it means to be a father? You authored this creation that exists now. So there's only one person that could have been Adam's father. The one that created him. So as you begin to look at this story, God God just began to tell me, I didn't create fathers and then try to tell people I was the heavenly father. He said, I was the heavenly father of Adam from the very beginning and I made fathers to reflect me. And so everything that this message is going to be about today is what kind of father is he? The title of my message is The Good, Good Father. And there are attributes that God has that you will never achieve. I'm just going to be plain and simple, so just relax and just understand that if you're a father, you're not going to achieve his level. But if I pursue perfection and I fall short, I'm an awful good dad. I mean, if I have the attributes of God and I still fail, that's okay because I'm a really good dad. But I'm going to give you the example of a perfect father. And, and, and it's kind of hard to find because there's a lot of imperfect people in the Bible. So I had to go try to find this perfect father and God gave me the, the perfect story. And um, But God, I want you to imagine Adam in the garden. 
And I want you to imagine how good his father was to him. I mean, he, it was when, when Adam turned his back on God, this brings new light to me now. Because he did a lot more than just sin. He actually turned his back on his father. His father loved him so much, the Bible says, that everything in creation was created for the inheritors of righteousness. That God made the entire solar system for his son Adam. Do you realize that? He created everything in that garden, everything on the face of the earth, every animal, and he gave it to his son. And he gave it to Adam. And Adam somehow rejected him as a father. Isn't that amazing? Somehow Adam began to look at his father and not really understand his heart. Because Satan was able to come in and say, did your father say this? Did he say that? And he began to question whether he even cared about him. You know, Adam started questioning, you know, is he giving me his best? Does he love me? And the story I'm going to read today, um, in fact, if you would turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued. Now remember, when Jesus tells these stories, in fact, I touched on this several, a couple months or two ago. These are the three parables of the lost. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And Jesus actually, in verse 1 there, before I read it, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Who's him? Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus begins to tell three parables about the lost. And the purpose of the three parables is to show the love that God has for people. And see, this is what I want to get into today, the heart of this father. Because a lot of people, do you know that the world misunderstands God's heart? They don't understand his heart at all. And the whole purpose of these stories is, Jesus is trying to explain to them, this is my heart as your father. This is how much I love my children. And you say, well, he's just talking about sinners here. No, as you look into this, he's talking about all of his children. He's talking about the ones that love God. He'll talk about them in these stories. And he'll say, you know what? I love a sinner equally as well as I love you. And that bothers some people. Some people want God to love us more than he loves sinners. But how would you like a father that loves one more than the other? And what God's trying to say is, I don't love my children more than sinners. I love them equally. I love them as much as I love you, and I, I, my love is lavished upon you, but I love them too. And God's trying to say, I don't want this world to have any misunderstanding about my heart. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. Now it's very important that we understand that. Okay, because we focus on the prodigal, or we focus on the good son. But the man had two sons. 
And the man clearly loved equally the two sons. He didn't favor one over the other. He loved them both 100%. As much as he could possibly love these two sons, he loved them. Okay? The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set out for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs that they were eating, pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's sad. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could finish what he wanted to say to him, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son in the field, when he came near the house, what did he hear? music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became happy. The older brother became angry and refused to go in the house. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have, I have been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not his brother, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and he, and he, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Let's pray. Father, right now, Lord God, reveal your heart to us, Lord. Oh, Father, that you might be the example that every day when we get up, Lord God, we look at you. In your heart, Lord God, for your children, Lord. Father, let us celebrate like you celebrate, Lord God, with joy, Lord God, when a sinner comes to you, Lord. And Father, may we understand the heart of the Father, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So all three of these examples, um, they found a lost sheep and they celebrated because they found the lost sheep. Ninety-nine of them were lost, but he came home and looked and looked and looked and finally found the one sheep and he said he put him over his shoulders and when he finally got home with that sheep, he began to call all of his friends and, and began to celebrate this lost sheep. So do you see how each one of these, it's the same pattern? There's a coin, there's ten coins, one is lost, and they're like going crazy trying to find this valuable coin. And finally they look everywhere, and they finally found it, and again, they're celebrating because of the lost coin. The nine got the party, but the one coin did. The ninety-nine sheep got no party, but the one sheep did. And now the son, there's only two of them. And he's directly talking to the Pharisees here. Because the Pharisees, they knew God the Father, but they didn't know the God the Father that the Bible reveals. They knew a God, and here's the thing about being a dad. How many know that God in the Bible, um, God in the Bible wants me to preach about sin? How many agree with that? God wants me to identify things that are detrimental to you as a child of His. Why would God do that? Because if a good, good father does not warn his son that he loves very much for, that son is going to be harmed. So if I'm a good, good father, I'm going to say, do not run in the busy street. If I'm a good father, I'm going to say, don't play with fire. I'm a good father, I'm going to say, maybe you shouldn't be in that situation with people that are doing those kinds of things. Because how many fathers know we are protectors? I mean, man, if you really love, if you have the love of a father, you're a protector. And so none of the things that God has me preach about, in fact, I'm preaching about I mean, know that if I'm a true minister of God, I'm preaching against sexual sins. I'm preaching against pornography. I'm preaching against fornication, which means having sex outside of marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching about homosexuality, which the Bible forbids and says it's an abomination to our Father. And I begin to talk about emotional sins. You know, I have to talk about jealousy. I have to talk about envy. I have to talk about gossip. I have to talk about all these things that cripple relationships. And the same reason I'm talking about the sexual sins, same reason I'm talking about these emotional things, is because your God loves you so much, He doesn't want your relationships crippled. He loves you. But, sometimes... If that's the only God that we know, we don't realize He's a good, good God. So somehow these Pharisees and these scribes begin to um, re-identify who their father was. They begin to say, well, He gets pleasure out of us keeping these rules. And what God was saying, no, is the benefit is you. I do all those rules, all those things that I warn you against, all those things that I lovingly tell you about is because I love you. But won't you love me, God, if I do it? No, I love you 
It's for you. It's not for me, God says. Those things that I'm asking you to do is because I am a loving father and I care about you. I care so much about you that I died to help those things be removed from your life. God had the perfect balance of love. He said, if you love, he said, there's no greater love than to give your life for a friend. So Jesus gave the perfect representation of love when he said, I don't want these things in your life because I love you. And I'm going to go so far to give my own life. There could be a million ways God could have taken away sin. But before the foundation of the world, he said, there's one thing that will take it away. My life. God could have said, pay money. God could have had a million ways to take away sin. But he said, I'm only going to make one way for forgiveness of sins. And that is my life. Because I want you to understand that those rules are there because I love you. And if you disobey those rules, you know what will happen in your life? You will run away from your father just like Adam did. This is a dad that loved his creation. I mean, how much do you think it hurt God's heart when Adam walked away from him? I think it grieved him. I think it just tore his heart apart. And this story is... is, This story is giving you the heart of that father that lost his son. And it's trying to show you how much grief that God has over our sins. But here's the thing. As a dad, sometimes they don't understand your heart. How many of you know you can love a child with all of your heart as a dad? And man, you can come in and say, hey, don't, uh, you know, don't ever play with that. Man, that looks like the funnest thing to play with. Why does my dad, he doesn't want me to have a good time. He doesn't want me to have fun. He does want me to enjoy life. And see, you begin because of the words of your dad, the actions of your dad. It's all love. But that child begins to not understand the heart of the father. And so when we're saying... As a dad, all these attributes, be strong, be a leader, tell them what's right and wrong, lead them in the right direction. Sometimes they have a father that's doing all the right things, but they don't get the heart of the father. And so these Pharisees started getting all these regulations and rules and they, all these things about what a father is, and they could tell you from the Bible what a father was. They could tell you what a father was like. They could tell you all the attributes of a father. They could tell you every sin that was considered a sin and considered not a sin. But they totally missed his heart. They totally missed how much God loved them and totally missed how much God loves the lost. Now the first area here, I want you just to observe the father. Because this is what not only the dads here, not only the men here, this is what all of us are striving to be. This father is a... um, I don't know that this man, if he existed, I don't think I would extrapolate it to the point where everything that he does is exactly what we should do, and it's God. But it's a very, um, if you cut to the essence of the whole parable, it is, this is a father that loves, and this is what a heart of a father should be like. And so if you cut to the point of it, he's trying to tell them, this is why I love the lost, these three parables. So he starts off and he says, the first area... Verse 11 and 12, this is the area of rebellion. 
It says in uh, verse 11 and 12, it says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Give me your share of the estate. And he divided his property between them. Now I'm trying to picture what this dad's like. This dad obviously had an inheritance for his sons and they were still alive. So this was a dad that was probably a very, very good father. Do you, can you see the personality of this father? He loves them so much that the, that the child actually knows he has an inheritance already. And the father is so loving that he even, even though his son has insulted him greatly, he still gives him a share of the inheritance. So this is a dad that probably worked really hard, probably sacrificed everything he had to build something for these kids, and they don't seem to appreciate it. Right? But he's very loving. We can tell that from the story. We can also tell that he probably raised these kids the right way. In fact, uh, one of the parts of the story is he goes to the land where the Gentiles are. So this kid knew he was going... uh, This kid, he just wanted to be away from the presence of the Father. Think about this. God gives us everything. He gives us our health. He gives us our... I mean, our, our... Entire creation is Him. God gives us everything. In fact, God said He he, he gives it to us and a reasonable sacrifice is to give back to Him. But how many people take everything that God has given them? We've got all this influence. We've got all this strength. We've got all all these uh, monetary things God has given us. How many people say, I want to run as far away from the presence of God as I can possibly run? And this kid was really insulting. If you look at the culture here, I want you to imagine that your parents have a lot of money and you're waiting for the inheritance, okay? And that's bad enough, isn't it? That you're waiting for those parents to die so you can have the inheritance, right? That's really bad. But now imagine you go to your parents and you say, I really can't wait around for you to die. I want it now. Is that, does that ever happen? It's like, Dad, I don't need, you know, maybe there wasn't even a wife. He might have been a widow, widower. He might not have had a wife because it never mentions the wife. But what if this man was living alone and had an inheritance, and the son, the younger son, was so bold, he went to him and said, Dad, I cannot wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance right now. So this is insulting. And he said, well, nobody would ever treat God that way. God is trying to reveal his heart through this story. It's God trying to reveal his heart. We turn our back on God. We run as far away from God as we can possibly run, and we say, God, I don't have time for you in my life. I want to do my own thing. It's insulting. But here's the amazing thing. The father loves his son so much, and see, this kid missed it. The Pharisees missed it. He's telling them because they don't know this. The father loved him so much, God was not offended. Can you imagine if God were like us? You know, what if your child did that? Dad, I want my whole inheritance while you're alive, and I want to go spend it, and it's set on prostitutes. Wild living in a foreign country. Spent everything quickly. Now, what if somebody did that to you? And what God is saying is, day after day after day after day, the ones that I long to know and I died for, they do this to me. This is what God's saying. They do this to me over and over and over and over. And the father, what is his reaction? I love you. 
that amazing? I love you. Son, I love you. He's telling this kid he loves him all the way out the door. It's amazing. And they go on. In fact, a lot of commentators say that really the sentiment that the boy was giving the dad was, I wish you were dead. I mean, literally, it's that culturally unacceptable what he did that he literally was saying, Dad, might as well be dead to me because I have no desire to even know you. Now, how many people know people that are there right now? It's like, there's two kinds of people in the Bible. Did you know that? There's the godly and the godless. You say, well, I thought it was good people and bad people. I thought it was people that did good things and people that did bad things. No. It's the ones that want God in their life and the ones that are godless. You can be the nicest person in the world and give the most charity in the world, but if you're still a godless person, you still don't have God in your life. If you're a godly person, you begin to say, God, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want you to be a part of my life. A godly person wants their father in their life. A godless person turns their back and goes to a distant land. We go on. Look at the next verse, verse 13. It says, Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered it in wild living. Now I want you to imagine this, because in our country we see this every single day. All right? I want you to think about this. This father was a really good, good father. Totally loved this boy. Would do anything for this boy. This boy was the apple of his eye. This boy was loved as much as his other brother loved. Do you see the heart of this father? He loves this kid. But this kid insults him to the highest degree, says, I wish you were dead, and runs off. Now what do you think our psychiatrists would say about this today? He was born that way. He was born to be rebellious. He just has that rebellious um, gene. You know, you know, his dad was too strict with him. His dad drove him out of there. How many men ever feel these things? It's like they put this on you. You could totally love your child, totally do everything you can to care about your child, and they're like... Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. They could have said, well, you know, they could have, they, they could have said, well, the culture that he's in, you know, I mean, there's a lot of excuses for what happened, but you know what the problem was? The boy turned his back on his dad. Be responsible for your life. Be responsible. Don't blame everybody else for the fact that you're running from God. It's not everybody else's fault that you're running from God. Be responsible that you turn your back on your father. He, he grieves. He feels it. You know, God loves you with an everlasting love. And the one sin that will damn all of us to eternity in hell is God loved us for our entire life and we rejected him for our entire life. God loved us with an everlasting love. He was our father that created us. He begot us, loved us, gave his life for us, and we rejected him. That's the sin. We didn't want to know him. You say, well, I thought I had to, I thought there were like 700 and some odd sins, and if I didn't do all of them, 
I'd be all right. No. One sin. Your God loves you and you don't want to live with him. You don't want him in your life. You don't want to worship him. You don't want to be obedient to him. I've rejected my God. So this kid becomes reckless and rejects his father and goes to a faraway land and probably on his way out the door blamed everybody. Blamed everybody for his problems, his troubles, and just ran as far away from his father as he possibly could. But now I want you to think about it because this story can take a real dovetail toward the son. I want you to go back to the father. How do you think this father's heart was when the boy left? He's broken. The father is absolutely broken. The father has nothing but love for this kid. In fact, you know how the father was so quick to run down the lane and find him? I believe it's because the father every day prayed for the son. I think every day he walked by that lane and just said, God, if I could only see my son walk down that lane again. And this father was a good, good father. I mean, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like that father. I want to love my children with an everlasting love. And I want to pray for them every day. And I don't want to be angry. I don't want, in fact, you know, the Bible says that, that there's going to come a day when God's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons back to the fathers. God wants us to have his heart. That's mothers and fathers. God wants us to have the heart of God. God doesn't want us arguing with each other. God doesn't want us fighting with each other. You know, you can be a father and you can have rules and you can do all the right things as far as strength and discipline and all those things, but they'll never know you're a daddy. This father is a daddy. This father is letting this son know that you're not listening to a single thing that I'm saying. My wisdom is like the dirt to you. You know, my love for you, you don't care about. You don't want to hear a word from dad. You don't want to listen to dad. But let me tell you something. I still love you. You dishonor me. I still love you and honor you. And this is a, this is a dad. He went from being a father to a dad. Do you see this? I love you so much. And this heart of God is just coming out here. God's saying, yes, I'm the God that made the Ten Commandments. I'm the God that told you how to live your life. I'm the God that did all these things. I'm the God that one day will be bring wrath upon this earth. But there's a whole side of me some of you don't even know. I'm a dad. I love you with an everlasting love. And, and some people, you know, they don't know this. Some people are sitting right now, they're addicted to meth, and they think nobody in this world even cares about their soul. And God's waiting at the end of the road there, and He's saying, I love you with an everlasting love. I love you as much as I love anybody else that didn't fail. I love you so much that I'm waiting for you. And there's going to be a celebration in heaven. Three times he repeats it. Celebration, celebration, celebration. Then he says, if one lost sinner repents, there's a celebration. He's making a point to say, I love the meth addict so much that I will celebrate. I'll put everything aside. I'm not going to celebrate everything. I'm going to celebrate you. I love you so much, I'm going to wait every moment for you to walk back, back into my presence again. How many people that are lost right now think that God's mad at them? How many think that they think God's angry with them? They think God thinks they're a failure. They think that God thinks they're unredeemable, and God said, no, here's my heart. And it's amazing. I said last week, two really bad criminals on the cross and Jesus in the middle. Two really, really bad people, right? 
failed completely in life, worthy to be condemned. Jesus is in the middle of them. And it don't seem like uh, it should be that easy, but he just turns to Jesus and says, forgive me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in eternity. Boy, that was easy. You know, Jesus was celebrating that one person that repented. He was at the end of the road, had no other part of his life he could give. He was a bad, wicked person. And Jesus was showing the same heart he's showing in the story. I love you with an everlasting love. And there's a celebration right now in heaven because this thief on this cross loves me. This is my child. I'm proud of my child. He goes on. He goes through this period where he just destroys everything. I mean, he's living in riotous living, prostitution. I hate to say those words on Sunday morning. I'm sorry, but it's in the Bible. So I need to say it because this story is the depth of depravity. This is the person that runs away from God's presence and they're ashamed. I mean, he's totally ashamed of everything he's done. He wasted everything, spent everything. He was a society, looked at him like he was nothing. And now all of a sudden, something changes with this boy. In fact, this is the um, crux of the, of the story here, really. Verse 14, it says, After he had spent everything, so how much did he spend of his money? He spent all of his money, and if that was not bad enough, now there's a famine. So that he didn't expect the famine. So after he spent everything he had... There was a famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. In fact, commentators will say this literally says he desired to be a pig. I mean, he desired... He was jealously looking at the pigs and saying, man, they have it good. But no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Do you realize that this kid still doesn't get it? He still doesn't mention how much dad loves him. Still doesn't get it. His belly is empty. He's in need. In fact, they say the pods the pigs were eating uh, were not even edible for a human to eat, or he would have eaten them. So he would have actually eaten the pigs' food, but the pods that they were giving him were un, not able to be even uh, digested by a human. So he's looking at these pigs. Now, here's a lot of things here. He was stripped of being a human being. Okay, He's in a slopping pigs, which for a Jewish person was the lowest of the low. He could not have been in a lower place. God allowed him to run and run and run as far as he could in a distant country, and he finds himself in the middle of a pig pen, desiring and dreaming to be a pig. He's stripped of everything. He's stripped spiritually, he's stripped emotionally, he's stripped physically. Nobody will give him anything. And he still does not think about his father's love. He still doesn't understand the heart of his father. And I want you to just think about, man, if you could just see the desperation right now of the lost. I mean, the lost are so desperate right now. Remember, they're God's favorite son. They're somebody's son who loves them with an everlasting love, and they're 
desperate right now. Some of them are, are having a hard time even finding a place to stay. Some of them are living in nice places, but their belly is just, I mean, they just, they, they, they're depressed, they're suicidal, they're, they're away from God, and there's something in their heart that's missing, and they don't know what it is, they can't even put it into words. How many were there when you were lost? You walked into a church and you said, man, I'm going, but I don't even know what I'm looking for. I don't know what it is I need. Um, the Father's love certainly wasn't on your mind. What was on your mind was, I have a need, and it's all, it's all centered on self, which is okay. But we come in and just something's missing, and nobody's there for me, and I don't have my needs met, and, and I'm not satisfied. I've done everything that my heart, the heart is a liar. The heart says, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. He believed the things that he were doing would satisfy him. But he gets out in the middle of this land and finds out, I'm not satisfied, I'm depressed, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless. And then he begins to think, well, maybe if I go back to the one who really, really loves me, my father, maybe I'll be all right. And so he begins to rehearse and he begins to reflect. How many have ever done that when you were lost? You're like, man... Maybe there was something to having a relationship with God. Maybe there was something to having that father. You know, if I can do one thing as a father to be considered a success, think about it. What would make you successful as a father? I'll say one thing. If I can introduce my children to their heavenly father, I'm done. If they understand who he is and what his heart is like, that's the ultimate success. If I can't do that, then I haven't done what I desire to do. Now they may accept him, they may reject him. But my number one goal as a father is to introduce him to the image that I'm trying to be like. What's it? Oh, okay. <laughs> he was making motions there. I didn't know the signal. He was scratching his shoulder. <laughs> So then the boy begins to come back, and this is a perfect picture of repentance. He says in verse 18, I will go out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, I want you to see how far he's missed his father. What's his father been doing the whole time? He just wants to see his face. He just wants to love him and kiss him and and put the best clothes on him that he has and put the best shoes and put a ring on his finger and he wants to have a celebration that he's, he just wants to see his son and love him. God is sitting here waiting for the most lost sinner. There are people right now that are sitting in prisons for life, and God has this emotion for that person. I love them so much, I just want to put my arm around them. And they're like, that's not possible. My, my family doesn't love me, society hates me. This kid was rejected by everybody. He couldn't even get anybody to feed him food. So nobody would help him is what it said. So in his mind, because he doesn't know the heart of the Father, he doesn't know how much love God has for sinners, he formulates in his mind a plan. I will go to my Father, and I will say, and he's in control of this whole thing, I will say, give me a job, I will pay these things back, you know, but I'll be better off as an employee of my Father And I know that he's not going to accept me as a son. But I'll be better off. Think about that. You ever been that low? You ever been so worthless? You ever been so low 
and felt so bad about yourself that you were worthless. That nobody cared about you. Nobody loved you. And God Himself wouldn't even care about you. And you walk into God's presence. How many, how many understand what amazing grace means? Do you even understand what that means? I hope you do. Because amazing grace means I was so worthless. I was so helpless. I was such a bad person. I was such a lost person that there's no possible way that God's going to care about me. And this kid walks up rehearsing these lines. I've walked up there rehearsing these lines. God, I'm so broken. I'm so bad. I don't have anything in my life that's good. And I'm walking up the lane and I'm beginning to say, God, can you do something with my life? And before he can even get it all out, he's running. They say that men in that period of time, that age, did not run. They said it was almost an, it was almost an embarrassment for a man that age to run. And they say this man sprinted down the lane as fast as he could. People are going to walk in this place. They're going to feel rejected. They're going to feel lost. And sometimes in the church, we're going to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. And we're going to say, you're a worthless person. But God is sprinting. He's running as fast as he can possibly run. And he's saying, I love you. I've been waiting for you. And somehow the church is going to have to get a hold of the Father's love before it's too late because these hopeless, helpless people don't know that they're loved. They don't know the heart of the Father. And we have to have the heart of the Father, not only with our own children, but with the world around us. And he comes running as fast as he can before the kid can even get up the lane. Dad is running to go get him. He puts his arms around him and it says that he kissed him several times. He just showers this kid with kisses. Puts a robe on him like the best. Now what do you think he was wearing when he got home? He was in a pig pen. He was in a pig pen. What do you think you looked like when you came to God? Filthy, spiritual rags. I mean, there was nothing good there for God. And God begins to put on a robe of righteousness. He says, I see you as perfect. You are my son. I love you. And he just begins to shower you with his love. The ring was a family signet where you could do business. No, you're not an employee. You're my son. Put the ring on his finger. He could do, he could do family business at that point. Um, the the culture evidently the the servants would go barefoot, but the one who was the son would actually have nice shoes. So he actually finds the nicest shoes, puts them on his feet. Because what do you think he was wearing? Probably barefoot. And dad just begins to shower him with his love. Now, can you imagine the faces of the Pharisees when they listen to this? I mean, they're they're so angry. They're so upset. And dad begins to, I mean, he doesn't even inform everybody yet. They would have a fattened calf, and they would be, these would be separated. These wouldn't be, if you've ever raised like um, um, cattle, you, you normally would put them grass fed, and then when you get toward the end, you start corn feeding them, you know, getting them ready to be slaughtered. So this one was being corn fed for special occasion. He was in the back, and he was being corn-fed. He was going to be slaughtered for a special occasion. And Dad said, and there's no more special occasion than this. He said, go get the fattened calf. 
And they were like, oh, fattened calf? It's like, yeah, the fattened calf. Get the good one. We'll pull him out, slaughter him, so you could just smell the fattened calf was in the air. And they're in the house celebrating. Everybody's happy. Everybody's so happy because this boy is no longer, they cleaned him up. He doesn't have pig slop all over him anymore. His shoes on his feet. You know, and just love is all around him. And then here comes the older brother. And you know what? This older brother was a probably a pretty good kid. He said he never disobeyed dad's orders. Dad didn't say that that was wrong. He said he was always obedient. Uh, in fact, this kid, you may not know, but according to the law, he got two-thirds. He got a double portion, being the older son, and the younger one got a third. So whatever the kid squandered, he had twice the amount. So he already was real rich, maybe not only material things, but if you apply it spiritually to what he's saying, we have so much more because we've been in God's presence for so long. God's been blessing us abundantly. We have all these spiritual blessings around us. And then this kid is upset because he thinks God loves the other son more than him. And God's saying, I love you 100%, but I love him 100% too. I don't love one more than the other. I love them both. And this son was angry. He refused to even go into the house. And he refused to go in. And and, uh, do you see that this son is representative of the church? Representative of the church. And you say, well, how does that apply to me on Father's Day? We've got a choice, man. We can be like the Heavenly Father who had so much love. I mean, he was being a dad. He was loving them, you know, even through the... I mean, they were... He was disobedient. He was doing all the things dad said not to do. He had no ability to even be a part of the kid's life. But the dad loving, loving, loving. He wasn't hateful. He wasn't mean. He wasn't bitter. There was no arguments between him and the boy. He was like, I love you so much. I'm praying that you'll come back. When you come back, I'm going to honor you even though you dishonor me. But the church couldn't do that. The scribes and the Pharisees could not do that. And sometimes as dads, we're human beings. And sometimes we're like that son. Sometimes there's divisions between sons and dads, daughters and dads. Sometimes there are difficulties in those relationships. And sometimes we can't... um, We do all the other things well as fathers... But God's saying, go an extra level. There's a supernatural level that I can only take you to. And that supernatural level is, no matter what they do, you're going to love them. No matter what they do, you're going to put your arm around them and you're going to hug them. When nobody else cares about them, nobody else reaches out to them, you're going to reach out to them. You say, that has to be my son or my daughter. No, the whole world you live in. I'm going to love like my father loves. I'm going to love this world like my father loves this world. There's not going to be a single human being that I don't value their life. Because God loved me that way. And so you got a choice. We can be like the older son or we can be like this good, good father. So then they reconcile. Praise the Lord. For a long time, I remember being that angry son. How many have ever been the bitter, angry son? And I can remember 
running as fast and as hard as I could away from God. You know, I didn't understand the heart of the Father. Do you know how much better this kid's life would be around his father? Have somebody that loved him that much, supported him that much, cared about him that much, and he cut off the one thing that probably would have made his life better than anything. That's what we do with God. And I can remember for a long time, I was bitter and I was angry at God. And it's funny, there's one song, and my brother remember it really well, there's one song that I used to remember from when I was a kid, and I was looking for it before I came up here, and I wanted to read this in closing. The worship team would come up here. I actually had to find the words, they're hard to find. How many remember a story or a song by the Gaithers years ago? It was called Like a Prodigal Son. Anybody remember that song? I want you to listen to this. I don't think they got every word right, but it's close. It says, Like a prodigal son, I wandered in darkness. But the shepherd sought me in the heat and the cold. The ninety and nine he left in the fold to find this lost sheep that was hungry and cold. You ever personalize those stories? You're that sheep that he was looking for. Give me another one. Like a prodigal son, I wandered from Jesus. I traded my Lord for a worldly good time. No peace in my heart I ever could find. And I got so tired eating after the swine. Think about how good your father is. It says, so I believe I'll go home and eat with the father. The table is spread and he's waiting for me. I see the father coming down to greet me. I'm willing to be just a servant for you. Wow. Praise the Lord. If you bow your heads and rise this morning. Your feet. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and I just pray that, um, Father, I pray that your spirit would be upon hearts this morning, Lord. Lord, if there are those that have been away from you, Lord God, Father, they've ran from your presence as far as they can run from the Father, Lord. Father, I pray that they would get a sense of your heart right now, Lord. Father, I want them to get a sense of how much you love them, Lord. How much you care for them, Lord God. Father, I want them to know, Lord God, that you're ready to leap for joy and run after them this morning, Lord God. You're ready to put your loving arms around them and and, and pull them back into your presence again, Lord.